few months ago, we visited the Smithsonian Zoo. And it's amazing to contemplate how God formed every creature in this planet with an area of expertise. Some animals run, some can jump, some swim, some dig, some fly. Each of them have a particular role to play and based on the way they were shaped by God. But this is even more true of us human beings. Each of us were uniquely designed or shaped to do certain things. The world of architecture or engineer knows this. Before an architecture designs any new building, they first ask, what is the purpose? What will be the purpose of this new building? How will it be used? The intended function always determines the form of the building. And the same happens with us, even more. Before God created each one of us, he decided what role we were meant to play on his kingdom. He planned exactly how he wanted us to serve him, and that's why he shaped us in a specific way to meet his demands, to serve those tasks. The Word of God says we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus to do good works. That means for the biblical world, we are the opposite of a, an assembly line product, like mass produced without thought. Each of us, we are custom designed, one of a kind, an original masterpiece for Jesus. None of us has the same mix of factors that makes us unique. And this is the context to understand today's parable. It speaks about a king that out of love, entrusts, he says, his own possessions to his servants. And he says that he went away for a long time, and it's an image of our life. And he says that he entrusted those talents according to their own ability. So the question that today Jesus asks us is, will you trust my trust in you? Will you trust what I have entrusted you? I would argue following this parable that to, in order to trust in this commission, we need to have one conviction and we need to be attentive of two temptations. The first conviction that we need and the Lord wants to remind us, to, to us, to all of us, by the Holy Spirit tonight, is we need to understand that we were created and saved to serve Jesus. I remember once I was checking the best-selling books, and probably you can check this in, in Amazon, at least for a certain season, it was very clear that there were many of the best-selling books that they would advise you how to get the most out of life. But for the biblical perspective, that's not the reason why God made us. We're made to add to this world, not just to get out of this world, but to add, to contribute. We are not just made to consume air and goods, but a disciple 
is someone that passes through this life adding and asking the question, how can I serve this kingdom? God wants us to give something back from each one of us. And so that's why he not only shaped us from our birth, but he has planned in his wisdom every day of our life in order to support his shaping process. That's how we understand our conversion, our reversion, all those moments that we came back to Jesus. In some way, they were leading so that we may discover the place that we are meant to occupy in his kingdom. They say of Winston Churchill that he was very old when he was called to lead the English army in a world war, but he was able to say, all my life I had been preparing myself for this task. And the same, each one of us should be able to say that, that the Lord has been shaping me to that place where he wants me to serve him. Second Timothy says, he saved us and called us to a holy life, not according to our works, but according to his own design. Again, the idea of a design of a beautiful a wisdom intelligence, a wise intelligence that plans and has an idea. So the Lord has rescued us so that we may serve his purposes. It's not that we are served, we are not saved by service, we are saved for service. We are ransomed in order to serve him. That, this explains why if we were created to live eternally with Christ, I don't know if you have ever asked yourself, but once we encounter him, why does he call us to his presence? Why do we go directly to heaven? And the answer is very simple, because he leaves us on this earth till we fulfill our mission. For a disciple, this life will last till our mission is fulfilled. That's why we can be very committed with our life and very detached. And when the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant, and that's not only at the end of, of our life, but at the end of every day we should hear that voice. Well done, faithful and good servant, come to my rest. We'll have that freedom. Someone who taught me this was a man I, I met many years ago in the slums. He grew up in a very tough family, very dysfunctional family. He saw a lot of violence growing up. He, when he was 14, he entered into drugs, in the beginning just weed, then he moved to cocaine. For 20 years, he was an addict. And when he was 34, someone clapped his hands at, at his door, a missionary that was inviting him to a retreat in the slums called Start Again. And this man, he was convicted convicted that his life, there was no hope for him, but he said, okay, I'll give it a shot. In that weekend, the love of God by the Holy Spirit was poured out in, in his heart. He was cleansed, he was fresh, all the memories of his addiction. And not only that, but he said, okay, now I need to start serving. And he became the leader of the music ministry. He's still serving. He's the best man we have down in Argentina for the music ministry. And when you Hear his testimony, he says, I was an addict for 20 years, and now I have only one addiction, to serve Jesus Christ. And I will serve him the rest of my life. He has rescued me 
to a life of service. This is the first conviction the Lord wants us tonight to be aware of. We were created, saved, redeemed, called, found in order to serve Jesus. The two temptations that this parable warns us, and they are good reminders, at least to myself. The first one is the temptation to excuse sometimes, excuse ourselves. This is what happened to the third servant. He said, I knew you, you, you were a hard man. I knew you were demanding. That's why I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground. So a question that I would like to pose tonight is, what are our excuses to delay our service? What are those unconscious barriers that we put to the Lord? Because probably we can think of reasons why we shouldn't be serving as much as we can. But today the Lord wants to call us out and to ask us, what is your excuse? And the good news is the Word of God gives us so many examples of many pivotal players in the history of salvation that they were very limited. Just to give you an idea, Abraham, when he was called to service, he was very old. Jacob was insecure. Joseph of the Old Testament was abused by his brothers. Moses could not speak well. Gideon was poor. Rahab was an immoral woman. David, he was a lustful man. Elijah and Jeremiah had pessimistic temperaments. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was an eccentric man. Peter was impulsive. Martha was extremely anxious. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was impopular, unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid, and so on. And the list could go on. This is quite a variety of misfits. But God used each one of them for their service. And he will use us if we stop putting excuses. He never wastes anything. And that's why our own abilities, our interest, our gift, they are intended to serve the kingdom. This is the first temptation. At least sometimes I struggle with that, of excusing myself. Like saying, yes, I will serve you, but not now. And the last excuse is, the, or the last temptation is to compare ourselves to others and not be grateful with that talent that the Lord gave each one of us. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't want us to covet our people's abilities. He won't ask us to give an account to those things we didn't have. Instead, he wants us to be grateful for what we have. The prophet Isaiah says, Thus the clay say to him who fashions it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Sure, a potter can do what he likes with the clay. What an image. Wouldn't it be a bit absurd if the clay would speak to the potter and say, What are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. And the potter would say, Yes, I know. Let me do my work. In the parable, we see something that is, is, can be very assuring. 
to our temptation of comparing ourselves, we see that God is free from that compulsion of comparison. We tend to esteem, estimate ourselves by always checking how we are doing in reference with others. And that's why we suffer chronically, either from superiority or inferiority complexes. But God is very clear in this parable that he has an innate faith in each of his servants. He knows exactly what he has given to each one of them. And there's two very important details. Let's think about the second servant. It would be very reasonable if the second servant would say, hey, Lord, why? The other guy, you gave him even more than twice what I have. I have 12, two talents. You gave him five, more than double of what I had. But the word of God stresses that immediately they both went and served. The one who had five, he didn't say, hey, look at me, I'm awesome. No, he just went and do his job. He didn't feel more than the other person. And the second one, he had two talents. He didn't feel self-pity. He didn't compare. He said, we are both part of this kingdom. We are both serving the common good. Let's go, let's run. Let's do our job. Our privilege is to serve the Lord. And so they both go, run, and they receive a proportionate benefit. When the Lord called them, it's very important that he called them one by one. He didn't put them on the same scale. He first called one. He first called the second one. And to both of them, he said, enter into your master's joy. This is such a sign that we need to refute the temptation of comparing ourselves. The Lord will never ask us something he hasn't given to us. The day we understand that Jesus knows my past, he knows my hurts, he knows my wounds, he knows my personality, he knows my IQ, he knows my experiences. The day I am convicted of that, I will be free to serve him with all I have, with no less, no more. You will be glad to, to flourish where he has planted you. And that's the freedom of the sons of God, to say, Lord, you give me one, I will multiply one. You give me two, I will multiply two. It's not that you love me more or less of the amount of gift. This is what you have given me. I don't deserve nothing. So as a spiritual homework, and this can help us to prepare ourselves for Thanksgiving, I really encourage you. I have done this in my own life and has helped me a lot. Take some minutes during this week to write a list of your spiritual or natural gifts. Things you like doing, things you are good at, things you are passionate about, things about other people commend you, and be thankful for that. Because that means that's the, the part where the Lord has planted you. That's where you are meant to flourish. The Lord one day when we encounter him face to face, he will not ask you about your neighbor, about your friend, he will ask about you. So. In this week, let's do not put excuses. Let us not compare ourselves that we may say, Lord, you have saved me, so I may serve you.